The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are talking about the Green Bay Packers' big win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, why the Packers are winning games they didn't in years before. We'll discuss that, the implications of that, and much more. We will also do Golden Kegs, uh, the best players from the Week 3 win, and the players who, or the moments that weren't so great. We'll talk about that all. Then we'll shift gears to talk a little bit about the Wisconsin Badgers and their embarrassing loss to the Ohio State Buccaneers and confirming a lot of things that we thought about Wisconsin. Where do they go from here? How serious do they have to take Minnesota as a threat? And much, much more. Lastly, we will touch quickly on the Milwaukee Brewers and their pretty good week, but why they still left a little cheese at the door. Before we get going, just a reminder, we're on social, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Uh, we'll get the Instagram and TikTok rolling again, hopefully. Uh, I've moved in. Uh, this is the first podcast from the new basement office uh, for your boy. Uh, so hopefully we will have a little more activity on the channel. Um, I've been a little lax, I will admit, um, this last weekend. Uh, this weekend for moving was a little worse than last weekend, so I apologize. Also apologize for a late podcast. Uh, your boy passed out on the couch. Um, so there you have it. I uh, wasn't able to uh, get the guys after the game. But anyways, so we have the podcast. Uh, make sure you're listening there, um, subscribing, reviewing, uh, or reviewing and rating. We'd really appreciate it. Sharing the podcast, telling people about who we are, Really appreciate that. Um, make sure, I'm going to try to uh, get a trailer. I've talked about this, but I, every time there's a new season, I try to get some paid ads going, and I forget, but we'll get it going for the Bucks season, which is only a couple weeks away. I do want to do early Bucks storylines um, probably tomorrow, actually. Um, that will be tomorrow's show. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. And, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a good show. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers and winning games they're not supposed to. Kenny Clark. Uh, met with the media after the game and said this was a game that we wouldn't have won a couple years ago uh, or even last year. And Kenny Clark's right. Uh, he's absolutely right that the Green Bay Packers win this game 14-12. to They beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a lot more of a Packer-dominant win than it, than, it, than it looks with the score, right? Because Tampa scores late. Joe Barry kind of choked on his lunch um, down the stretch there where Barry went away from the stuff that was working, um, which is another story for another time, something that I think worries me long-term. But at this point, uh, you know, it's null and void because the Packers won this football game, and that's all that matters. A win is a win. As people have described, it was a gritty win. It was a gutty win. It was a win that, as mentioned at the start, it's not one that we've seen from the Green Bay Packers because there's always something that goes wrong. And whether it was a special teams error like last year, uh, this, by the way, felt very similar to what we saw in San, against San Francisco, where the you know Green Bay Packers and 49ers were in an absolute dogfight and the game swung on a poor special teams error. That isn't happening anymore. Uh, Rich Pisaccia has done a great job with his special teams. Rudy Ford, uh, their gunner, uh, has been great. Um, I, I had friends who gave me shit about being excited about Rudy Ford when he could just run down the field. And I was like, who gives a fuck? Like, and I'm like, you know what? This is the type of stuff that has been missing from the Packers. Team speed that they did not have. And the Green Bay Packers are showing it off. And I think the fact they won this game in Tampa is not easy to win there in September. Uh, we have Bills fans right now complaining about the weather in Miami, which is just an absolute pussy move. Like, I hate this generation of sports fans, all right? Like, football is played in all sorts of elements. The Packers, 
lost this game and they lost the momentum in the fourth quarter and Tampa went to win, I would basically blame the fact that they were not prepared, that the training staff of the Green Bay Packers did not have these guys ready for a mid-September game. If anything, Bills fans should be pointing the fingers at their own team. They should be pointing the finger at the strength and conditioning staff for not getting them ready to play in in an environment that we've seen in Miami, right? Like that to me is something that they have to work on. And the Green Bay Packers did. I think they mentioned it on the broadcast that, you know, they worked on, like, they worked in human conditions. I think they had the weight room turned up. Like, they were prepared for this. They were ready for this. They wanted to win this football game. And Green Bay did everything possible to get it done. Now, was it a lot of defense? Was it a lot of special teams? You bet your ass. Those were the two catalysts of why the Packers won this game. The offense, we'll talk about in a second, looked really good in the first half, and then the second half was a complete joke. So we'll we'll have to fix that. And I know that they're going, but there were, but also too, to speak to the offense, like Rodgers did get them in a position where they could potentially win this game and have the dagger. The Lazard throw was really solid down the stretch. And they just need one more first down, and they would have been in Mason Crosby's range to put it at 17 to 6, which would have probably ended the game. Like Brady might have got a touchdown, but it probably is 17-12, and Green Bay wins this without any sort of theatrics. But Tampa's defense is really good. I think this will be the best defense that the Packers see all season, but they still fought through it. And the, and they that's what a championship team does. And you want to look at differences. And I think people have pointed out, I saw Marcus Eversall, uh, who's a radio guy up in Appleton, I believe. Uh, Marcus pointed out how like this is very similar to last year and the year prior, where you started off the year, it was a complete joke. You lose that first game. Then the second game, you play kind of a weak division rival. You kind of get get your footing, figure it out. And then the third day, you third game, you win in an extremely tough environment. Now, New Orleans, let's be clear, like New Orleans on prime time without the fans is a lot different than what it would be this year, even though I don't think New Orleans is that good. And that's kind of bearing out with them being one and two, doing absolutely nothing offensively. But you have New Orleans, then you had uh, San Francisco last year. You win in San Francisco. It was seemingly like a big exorcism of the demons. Um, and that was a similar game, too, where Green Bay blew a lead. Like, Green Bay was up early. They kind of stalled. And then, you know, San Francisco was able to come back, and Green Bay needed Aaron Rodgers' magic to get them down the field for Mason Crosby. And then today, you had the Tampa Bay game where it was also a lead. Packers sat on it, didn't you know execute further, and Tampa were come back. So yes, it is a carbon copy, but the difference here is it it looks and feels different. They didn't give up 27 points like they did in that San Francisco game. They gave up 12. Okay, and as a Rogers said after a game, like if our defense only allows 12 points, we're going to probably win that football game. He's absolutely right, and so. That's the thing to take away. And now you look at a schedule that gets somewhat easier in the next few weeks before you have Buffalo and probably the hardest part of your schedule coming up. Like you have the New England Patriots who now are going to be without Mac Jones. So you'll probably have Brian Hoyer in there, um, which, 
you know, Packers should take care of business. That's just let's let's not fuck around. Let's get get it going and win that game. You have that, and then you have the New York Giants, which I still am unsure on who the Giants really are. Um, it's potentially going to be the best London game that we've ever had. Uh, I think you need to see the Giants against a good team. I'll be curious to see them against the Cowboys just from a def- offense to defense perspective. Um, I, I mean, the Cowboys offense isn't that good uh, with Cooper Rush. But Micah Parsons is really good. I don't. I'm not going to call him Lawrence Taylor like the rest of the fucking media does. But I, I am curious to see how they do against that Cowboys defense because I think that Cowboys defense is legit. And then lastly, you have the New York Jets who you know did a Jets thing. They came back, dramatic win against the Browns, and then they lay a fucking egg at home against the against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then you have the Commanders who look like to me the Commanders look like the worst team in football. Uh, I think. That's what I would probably note. Like, I think the Commanders are the worst team in football at this point. Um, I know the record doesn't show it. I know they have a win. But I, I would put the Commanders at lowest on my power rankings if I was. So those are areas of opportunities. Maybe the Giants game you put in the ballots, but you should at least be 3-1 and one in that stretch. And now you have a win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm still not convinced this is a good Buccaneers team, but they might fall ass backwards into the NFC South because no one's good in the NFC South. Like, weirdly, the best, the team that's looked the best in the NFC South has been the Atlanta Falcons. Like, I'm serious. Like, I, I know they're one and two, but like, okay, they, they, had, they basically had that game against the Saints and then just shit their pants in the fourth quarter. They, against the Rams, got, you know, barnstormed early, came all the way back. If Jalen Ramsey doesn't make an absurd interception, they probably win that game. And then they go into Seattle, second straight day, second straight game out West, and they take care of business and beat a Seahawks team. That's not good. Uh, I don't think the Seahawks are probably going to draft top five this year. They still got it done. So it's like, I don't know, is Atlanta good? Like, I'm not sure. But I just, I don't know. Tampa, would it surprise you if Tampa missed the playoffs? Probably with Brady. But would it surprise you if Tampa is like the fourth seed in the last the last division that gets a, gets a team in and then they lose in the first round, similar to what Brady did his last year in New England? No, not at all. So we'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, this was a Green Bay Packers team that won a game they weren't supposed to and won a game with defense and won a game with special teams and didn't need Aaron Rodgers to bail them out. And you need that balance. There are going to be games where Aaron Rodgers bails them out. And there are going to be games where Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football and shows the part. And this was not one of them, but there will be those games too. It's all about balance, and that's how you win championships. And the Green Bay Packers showed that they were at a championship level. Let's move on to our favorite segment called Golden Kegs. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar or those who are basically... In you know, new to the program for some reason, uh, maybe you came in through a through TikTok or something, something of that nature. Uh, but Gold Kegs basically, we break down the best and worst of the Green Bay Packers, um, and we give five kegs for those who played really well, and we give one keg for those who maybe weren't so well. And it doesn't have to just be players; it can be moments, it can be things about the game, um, and it's a way for us to recap without a big overarching part, kind of like quick hitters, if you will. 5K goes to Keyshawn Nixon. I thought Keyshawn Nixon played a 
Great fucking football game. Jair Alexander goes out with an injury, which will make the list too. Uh, but Jair goes out with an injury very early on, and Keyshawn Nixon has to kind of be the guy. They move Keyshawn Nixon to be the nickel corner. They put Rasul and Eric Stokes on the outside, and Keyshawn Nixon plays his ass off. He, had, he got tested a couple times by Brady. It didn't matter. Keyshawn Nixon played really, really well in this one, and that that's a big thing for the Green Bay going forward because I think we all said if you know any of these corners go down, whether it was Jair, whether it was Rasul, whether it was Eric Stokes, we said, wow, yeah, it's, that might be bad, right? The depth really isn't there. I mean, Shamar Jean Charles played the dime corner. They kind of rotated those guys in, but Nixon showed himself. Like, there was not a ton of drop-off. Like, I, I, I'm not saying, like, he's at the same level as Jair, but there wasn't this sudden drop-off with Keyshawn Nixon out there, and that's that's really important for Green Bay going forward, especially if Jair is going to miss time, which I hope is not the case. I really hope that this is just a groin injury that was, you know, something they were like, well, with the weather and everything like that, we didn't want it to get worse, and we just held Jair out. Now, if Jair's out for the season or Jair's out for four games, that could be a real issue. That could be a real problem for the Green Bay Packers. And we'll, we can discuss that at length, but let's wait to see what happens with his injury. But I do think Keyshawn Nixon is more than ready to take that role from the Green Bay Packers. And last thing about Keyshawn Nixon, he had also the quote of the game, which I absolutely adore. Here's what he said after a game to reporters. He goes, time to go home. We walked into their trap, took over their trap, and go home. Simple. Fucking love that. That's a, that is a great quote. I, I love calling the, home, the away place the trap. Uh, I love that. Uh, good shit from Keyshawn Nixon. Other five keg, Devondre Campbell. Uh, Devondre Campbell, man. People, some people wondered if last year was a fluke. Some people wondered if that was just a one, one-time thing, if he played to his peak. He didn't. Devondre Campbell's legit. All right, like he had the big play, obviously, at the end of the game. He gets that tip. I'm um, 6'3 and all, gets way up there, makes the play. But he made other plays on, on the field. Like he stopped Fournette in his tracks a couple times, whether it was in the run or in the pass game. I thought Devondre Campbell played a very, very good game and was a very important reason why Green Bay won that football game. And Devondre continues to show himself as a leader of that defense and continues to come up with big moments for the Packers. And the Packers, man, they you got to give Brian Gunacus credit of identifying people who are diamonds in the rough. Like Campbell was a guy off the scrap heap in Arizona. You don't think Arizona could use him? Arizona, another lackluster game. You don't think Arizona, Arizona's defense could use Devondre Campbell? Of course they could. They could definitely use what Devondre Campbell is bringing to the table. And Devondre has just showed himself as one of the better players for Green Bay. I think he's named the captain. You know, that says a lot about what Devondre Campbell is. And I really do think that Campbell has, you know, import we know he has an important role, but like I think it it kind of needs to be amplified. Like he needs to be talked about with Kenny Clark, with Aaron Rodgers, with Alan Lazard, with David Bakhtiari. Like he needs to be mentioned with those dudes. Like I that's how how high I see Devondre Campbell. And I think he gets that respect, but I, I just don't want Packer fans to take it for granted because without Devondre Campbell, the Packers do not win that game. And it's not just the tech. 
all right? Like it's other moments that I don't think you see throughout the entire game that he helps out with, that he guides this defense. You know, even some of the goal line stuff, you hear him yelling, shift, shift. Like the guy is the leader on that football field and he's an extremely important part to what the Green Bay Packers do. Four kegs, Romeo Dobbs, like Romeo was incredible in this game. Eight catches, he's the first receiver since 2018 to have eight catches or more on a player not named Devontae Adams. Randall Cobb did that in 2018. Uh, that was from Rob Domofsky, surprised Aaron Rodgers after the game. This was definitely the Romeo Dobbs breakout game. Uh, whether he didn't necessarily have a touchdown, he didn't necessarily have a huge impact late in this game, but he still made the made those plays that said, okay, this guy is going to be special. This guy is going to be something for the Green Bay Packers. And you have to feel good about the Dobbs-Rogers relationship. We worry a little bit about Aaron Rodgers with young guys, and we worry that he doesn't necessarily have that trust there. I think you have to start looking at Romeo a little bit differently if you're Aaron Rodgers, if you're a fantasy player, if you're you know just a normal fan. Like You have to see this a little bit different, that Rodgers is starting to get comfortable with this guy and that can lead to big things for the Green Bay Packers. You know, Roger did miss him on one play. He has a little bit of middle of the field issues this year, but Rogers had him on a drag. I think it was on the interception, or it, I can't remember if it was the interception or incompletion on third down, but he like he had Dobbs. Like Dobbs beat his guy, and he all he has to do is throw it across the field. I think that still will come. But yeah, really good shit from Romeo Dobbs today. Uh, that that's a huge step forward, and especially against a team like Tampa, right? Tampa has a very good secondary, probably one of the best in football, and Dobbs stepped up and delivered in that moment. You have to appreciate that, and I think Dobbs is going to have a really strong year. I don't know if he's going to be Rookie of the Year, but I think by the end of this, we're going to look at Dobbs as one of the best receivers out of this rookie class by when December is over. Other four kegs goes to the run defense. It was much maligned after week two. They did a lot to fix that. Joe Barry deserves a lot of credit. I know I was critical of Joe Barry's late game situational defense. I can be praising his run defense. He did a really good job bottling up Leonard Fournette. Like Leonard Fournette is not an easy guy to bottle up. I know some people are like waiting for the other shoe to drop a Leonard Fournette. I don't think it's happening anytime soon. And Tampa, had, even though their offensive line is much maligned, they still were running the football last week against New Orleans. They didn't do that uh, against the Packers. Packers shut that down. So they did a very good job of slowing down Fournette and not getting, not having any sort of big breakers. That was an area of emphasis for Green Bay this week, and they capitalized on that. And you like to see that, right? If you're a good team and you have good players, you should be able to fix whatever whatever was ailing you the week before. And they did just that. And so I'm really encouraged by that going forward, that Green Bay can fix problems early and often. And it's not something that is just an immediate, okay, this is wrong with us and that is a fundamental problem. I, I was saying to somebody, I can't remember if it was at the... So I was at an event on Saturday. I can't remember if I said this on Saturday, but it was like... You know, I I kind of it's sick and twisted, but I, I always seem to like find the problem with the Packers. And I always find like what is that thing that's gonna like cost us a championship? And last year with special teams, like I did the podcast after the Bears game and I was like, guys, like this is bad, like I don't want this to be 2014 again. 
The run defense was an obvious problem in 2019. I really don't think that 2020 team had any problems. Like, I think they should have been in the Super Bowl. You guys know this. I've said this a million fucking times. You know, 2015, it's like we run out of guys. Like, you're able to, like, identify it. Like, that's how sick you can be as a a Packer fan is you can figure out what's wrong with this team and what's going to, you know, be the thing that, you know, knocks it off the side. I thought it might be the safeties. Safeties look decent today. I, I don't think they were great. I'd give them a three gag, but we, we aren't doing that for the safeties today. But I, I worried maybe it's them, and maybe I just need to just relax a little bit and let the season season come to me. But I'm glad they made, made adjustments, and I'm not having to say, well, is this run defense basically like 2019 all over again? Three kegs, not the safeties, but the left tackle rotation. I... <sighs> It's not like I have a problem with it. Uh, I know David Bakhtiari wasn't pleased about it. LaFleur said that after game, and I, I totally get that. Now, I'm not trying to be, like, old football guy, but, like, as someone who played left tackle and played offensive line, I totally understand what David Bakhtiari is coming from. I think Bakhtiari is basically saying, like, I need to get in a rhythm, and LaFleur was like, we don't th- think it was good to ramp him 0-60, to 60, which he's absolutely right. Like, it's tough, but you know, Bakhtiari's coming off an injury. He's coming off a, an injury where he kind of had played, what, a full quarter against Detroit and then ran out of gas. And I think they just want to make sure that he is fully ready to go for a full game. I'll be curious to see if the Bakhtiari pitch count exists against New England. It'll be a little bit different in terms of weather. Uh, you're at home too, so it's at your turf where you feel really comfortable in. Uh, so I'll be curious to see if Green Bay does the rotation or if they give Bakhtiari the full keys to the car. I would imagine that they do. Um, I, I could see London, honestly. See, here's the thing. I, the London thing worries me. Like London conditions-wise, not exactly not exactly great, right? So I, I do wonder, is London going to you know impact it at all? If I pull up the weather in Green Bay, Wisconsin for next week, um, as I'm trying to, uh, let's see what we got. Okay, so in Green Bay, projected next Sunday, a lovely 67 and sunny, a low of 50. That's Lyman weather. It's a little warm for Lyman weather. Lyman weather is more like 61. But that's, I mean, yeah. Just have David Bakhtiari play a full game. I think, think that's fine. Or it's like 75%. And maybe Green Bay takes care of business against a, a Patriots team that doesn't have uh, Mac Jones, and maybe maybe you have Bakhtiari resting come the third quarter. Two kegs, uh, go Packers second half offense. I mean, guys, what the fuck? Uh, they completed one first down. It did not did not look good at all. Um, I actually, I think they put more than a first down. I think they completed a couple first downs, but still, it wasn't good. It was not good for Green Bay. Um, they have to figure out how to deal with themselves, you know, when teams make adjustments. Um, I I think Todd Bowles made those adjustments. I don't think Green Bay exactly did. I think Green Bay was searching for answers and they didn't really find it. I think they need to kind of figure out what is their bread and butter. Um, And I I just don't think that's there just yet for the Green Bay Packers. And whether that is still a Adams thing where I think when, you know, offense was stalling, it's like, okay, just do like a back shoulder to Adams get 15 yards and then it can kind of get everything going or like feed Devontae Adams with a back shoulder and then a slant. So because you don't necessarily have that right now, 
I don't know what those plays are. Maybe it's, you know, I love that Texas route, you know, that kind of angle route, if you're unfamiliar with, with the football terminology of it, where you kind of run the running back as like a triangle, almost like, again, an angle. You run him like a triangle, and it's he's there in the middle of the field. I don't know if that's the play. I don't know if it's a quick slant to Randall Cobb or if it's a run to Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon. Um, you know, and they – and no one could run the football in this game. So I, I don't want to hear like, oh, the Packers went away from the run. I, I mean, they did at times, but they went back and then it wasn't working. And so I think they kept, again, to that point, like they kept trying to find things that were, it was like, all right, we'll pass the ball a lot. Nope, that doesn't work. We'll run the ball. That doesn't work. It could be that New England just has a really good fucking defense. Okay. Um, we'll just have to see. I mean, this Patriots defense is supposed to be good, but the Ravens put up 37 against them. So you know, I don't really look at that and say, okay, that is a good defense. Um, I, uh, I, I really do. I really do think that that is that's something we have to pay attention to as the weeks go on. Is 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 this stalling offense going to be a thing, or is it not? Because it's stalled again against the Bears in the second half. So is that a is that sitting on a lead? Is that you know? And maybe the argument I guess against in the second half of the Bears game is if they don't fumble the football, they probably score again, right? Um, so I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe it's not the case, but we'll we'll have to see. Um, and I'm not I'm not too concerned about the offense. I I really am not going to start worrying about the offense till probably week six or seven. And if we start seeing this shit still, then and it's like all right, guys, it's been six games. Like we we should kind of be figuring it out. Then I'll start to really push the panic button. A one keg to the Jair injury. Um, this is always the concern about Jair. I had you know friends of mine who didn't necessarily want to pay Jair. They were worried about this, and this is the this is a fundamental concern, right? Like, how can this guy not stay healthy? And pay him all this money. Um, he's definitely well-liked by the fan base, but I'll tell you what right now, when you get paid, the expectation is that you're playing on the field. And so if Jair's missing significant time, there's going to be a lot of frustration, a lot of consternation with Packer fans. But if I know anything about NFL contracts, Green Bay can always get themselves out of it. And I'm not saying getting out of it right away. Of course not. Jair is too good of a player to do that. But I think this is the fundamental worry. And Green Bay needs to figure out with Jair how to fix that, right? How do you how do you make sure that Jair Alexander can stay on the field? Because yeah, being ruled out with a groin injury is not exactly what you want after signing a like $70 million you know, contract. That is that's a pretty that's pretty tough. But if we're looking at Jair's contract, just so we're all clear. We all have that information in front of us. They do have a potential out in 2015. They have to assume 12 million a dead cap, but Jair is also only 23 years, 25 years old. So those who are complaining about, oh, we paid Jair all this money. It's like, yeah, it's true. But actually, he's, this is a backloaded contract. Jair's only making a million dollars this year. He's only making 1.2 next year. He does get a signing bonus and roster bonus and all, that, all this other shit uh, that you know works that way up. But, and this is, again, to the point of why the seller cap really isn't real. Um, and then in 2015, they have an out. And they can just get out of the contract if they want to. I'm not saying they will, but that's just my point of, like, I know fans are going to get upset and be like, oh, we gave them all this money. It's like, well, there's ways there's ways out of this. Like, I, I don't – I think in football, that's such an overrated thing to do because there's always outs, right? There's always – like, I get it in baseball. Like, I get the frustration in Yelich, um, you know, and – Christian Yelich is, you know, obviously overvalued at this point. And maybe that power comes back, but you have to pay that money. Like you can't can't get off that. 
football, you can. That's the beauty of it. That's why they want guaranteed contracts. That's why I, I don't know. I think the NFL is never going to give guaranteed contracts. I, I think the Deshaun Watson thing probably made so many people upset. Like I can't imagine how many people got upset by basically the Deshaun Watson deal. I have to believe that that was a major issue, a major talking point for a lot of people. Last one tag, just Aaron Jones fumble. I mean, if Aaron Jones doesn't fumble that football, uh, the Packers probably win this game going away. Um, 21 to three, heading into the break, offense rolling, feeling good. It's it. I mean, it happened right at the goal line. It was brutal. Um, now, granted, Aaron Jones took a hit basically to your kidneys from Vita Vey, who's like 350 pounds. So I don't blame Jones for fumbling that football. Um, I think I, I think anyone would fumble that football uh, in that scenario. But I, I need the Packers to kind of get out of that funk. Like they then have this the chance to double up again. Doesn't work. Um, they kind of sputter out, and they need to you know just keep doing their thing, keep going to work, keep figuring out you know what makes this this offense tick, and not get down in the dumps. But yeah, that's it. So to review. Five kegs to Keyshawn Nixon and Devondre Campbell. Four kegs to the run defense, Romeo Dobbs. Three kegs to the left tackle rotation. Two kegs to the Packers second half offense. One keg to Jair Alexander's injury. And one keg to Aaron Jones's fumble. Let me know if I missed anything. We'll also have this on TikTok and Instagram later for you guys to check out. Although we'll condense it because that's how the content game works. Moving on to the Wisconsin Badgers. The Wisconsin Badgers embarrassed themselves against the Ohio State Buckeyes. It was extremely ugly for the Badgers. They lose 51, 52 to 21. The Badgers are now 500, and it looks like another lost year, if you will, for the Wisconsin Badgers, if you consider being a playoff contender a standard. Now, could they still get to the Big Ten Championship? Yes. But do they look like a team that can compete with either Michigan or Ohio State? Absolutely not. Uh, the Badgers did not necessarily look the part as they got absolutely torn by this Ohio State offense. I mean, it was it was an ugly day all around, and you could point to so many different things. You know, Jackson Smith, the Jimba didn't even play in this game, and Ohio State still ran 52. It was 21 nothing after one quarter. It ended up being 31 to seven at halftime. The Badger, like I said, the Badgers completely embarrass themselves um, and they should be ashamed. I know Braylon Allen rushed for 160, 65, but that was a 75 yard breaker. If you take away that 75 yards, you could do the math and it's not as good. You look at what Ohio State did, you know, just overall with the, uh, just shredding Jim Leonard's defense. Uh, CJ Stroud, 281 yards, uh, completion of 10, 10 yards, he had five touchdowns. Travion Henderson, 121 yards. Mayan Williams, 101 yards. Two touchdowns, 9.2 on the carry. Mayan Williams, definitely a great, like they have two really good running backs. Emeka Mbuka, 115 yards through the air. I mean, it was just an absolute shit show for the Badgers from the start. You know, Ohio State had a great script going forward, and you're like, okay. It was one of those things where you're like, okay, Graham, like, you got to just play within yourself, buddy. And Ohio State has a good first script, and that's not surprising, right? I, I've just telling some people, like, I don't really get worried about first quarter anymore because I realize that the first 10 plays are scripted by both teams, and you should assume that those are going to be your best plays because you want to get into the end zone. The Badgers throw an interception in their the fifth play of of their their offensive set, and then 
Ohio State scores a touchdown shortly thereafter. Uh, two plays, they're in the end zone. All of a sudden, it is 14-0 without even blinking. Like, if you could have, you know, arrived to the bar late, and it's already 14-0. And then how did the Badgers, you know, set it up? They go three and out, and it's ugly, right? And that's that's not good. But again, you look at that play chart, and it's 14-0 already. And you run the ball twice, and then you have Graham Mertz, an incomplete pass. And then you have to punt. And then Ohio State goes down the field again, marches down the field, it's 21-0. Badgers punt again. And then they get a touchdown, then a, then a field goal, and then yet another punt. Mertz would throw, would, would they get an interception from C.J. CJ Stroud, but again, they can't do anything. They can't, they can't move the ball. And it's it's been a thing, man. And I said it on the review, and I, I mean it like, they are a they are third tier team right now, and I like I look at against Illinois. They're a nine point favorite against Illinois. Like I don't bet against the Badgers. Just kind of even though I'm not as big of a fan as some others, just can't not in my nature. Like Illinois nine and a half points. Like take those fucking points. Like that's gonna be Illinois defense is really good. Like I'm not. I, I don't think that's a given. Northwestern. Loses to Miami of Ohio, Southern Illinois. Like, that has to be a given in two weeks. Like, you have to win that football game. But I, and Michigan State has looked really bad. They get blown up by Minnesota. Well, we'll talk about it here in a second. So, those two games look a little easier than they did, I think, when the, the season began. So, you have those, you know, there for the Badgers. But that Illinois game, man, like, that's, that's sneaky. That's sneaky tough. Like, that Illinois team is not going to be an easy out for the Badgers as it's been in the past. And I know what the spread says, but. I don't, I don't know. Maybe the, I guess the only argument is Illinois hasn't played anybody good, you know, only beating Indiana and Indiana get, you know, steamrolled by Cincinnati this weekend. So I don't know. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the argument against Illinois. And we'll talk about that game as the week goes on. But it's like the Badgers, I think that's a huge fork in the road game for them. Because if Illinois keeps it closer, Illinois wins that game in Camp Randall. Now that's two straight losses in, or two straight losses against actual legitimate, you know, FBS teams in Camp Randall. You have to start asking some questions. There are murmurs about Paul Chris in retirement. Like that's that's kind of out there right now that Paul Chris this might be year, last year and let Jim Leonard take over. And I, I think those rumors are going to get louder and louder depending on what happens with this Badger season. And they just need more innovation. They need to do some different things that sort of get them to where, where, it's, where they need to be. And they just are not at that level. And then you look at what Minnesota has done this year. And I mean, they brought everybody back, but you know, and they're winning based football games. They're, they're a very successful team right now. And I, we kind of talked a little bit about it with Mitch last week where I was like, this don't like sleep on this Minnesota team. Like this Minnesota team's good. And I think that, you know, is a worry for, for the Badgers, especially because it's your, it's your rival. And Minnesota's never the top team in the Big Ten West, but it's hard to argue against it. I know Iowa was impressive against Rutgers, but still, like, it's really, really difficult to argue that Minnesota, who's now ranked 21st in the nation, is not the best team in the Big Ten West. They absolutely blow out Michigan State on the road, 34 to seven. They are steamrolling teams. They get Purdue at home. They have a big primetime game against Penn State in two weeks, which I think is going to be an awesome game. I mean, that should be that's a game where in the past Minnesota doesn't show up for. Minnesota gets themselves blown out 
but that the path is pretty easy for the Gophers. And it might come down to that last game at Wisconsin. But man, oh man, like they they look a step above. They look on that second tier. Like if you tiered Big Ten teams right now, it's Ohio State, it's Penn State, it's Michigan. I would even put I would say that's the order right now. I think it's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Then I would say Minnesota. Then I think the tier below that is Iowa, Wisconsin. I'd put Maryland in there. Like I thought Maryland, you know, looked scrappy enough against like the whole thing with Maryland was like okay, Maryland can't play with the big boys. I mean, Maryland hung in there with with Michigan. Like, that's a somewhat of a moral victory for the Maryland Terrapins. I think I'd put Illinois in that second, that third tier of teams. And then I think after that would be where I would put an Iowa, or not Iowa, excuse me, Indiana, Rutgers, Michigan State. Um, I think actually Michigan State and Nebraska are probably right now on that lowest tier. Uh, Purdue, who played, who survived against Florida Atlantic, probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have even won that game. Uh, you know, that's, I don't know how good Purdue is either. And so they're kind of in that lower tier too. But yeah, it's, it's, it's it could be a really rough year for Wisconsin. And you know, maybe Illinois is the game where they make a statement. And I, I think they, I think they need to. Like, I, I really do. Like, I, I think it's, it's one where they have to show that they can fix whatever happened against Ohio State because no one's going to believe that you can go into Indianapolis if, let's say, the Badgers turn this around and win the Big Ten West. No one believes that you can actually go in there and compete with Ohio State. I think that Minnesota could compete with Ohio State. And we'll see in a couple of weeks when they play Penn State. Um, you know, obviously, if they trip on their dick and lose to Purdue at home, which they shouldn't, they should take care of business. Um, then, yeah, maybe you have some questions about that Minnesota team. But I think right now, Wisconsin needs to level up. And what does that look like? you got to get a little more innovative offensively. And it really doesn't look like Bobby Ingram's doing much. It looks like it's still Paul Crest. Like, it's kind of like it's Bobby Ingram wearing a Paul Crest mask. Or Paul Crest wearing a Bobby Ingram mask, I guess, would be the better way to put that. Like, it doesn't look anything different than what we've seen in the years before. And that's the disappointing thing. And I think when your team's on primetime and your team's playing a major game, you want to make sure that they have a pulse. You don't want them to look like a power uh, group of five team. And that's what the Badgers look like. They look like they were an American athletic team playing, you know, the Big Ten power of Ohio State. And that's not what you want. Also not what you want is losing a game to the Cincinnati Reds, which is what the Brewers did on Sunday, but they did have a good weekend against the Reds. They were able to win three out of four. You got to win every game right now. Like as someone pointed out, it's not run the table time yet for the Brewers, but it's getting damn close. Like you need, I think he, I think Jim Goulet pointed out, uh, you need at least three losses from the Philadelphia Phillies. You need four losses from the San Diego Padres, um, while consequently also winning if you're the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, so there should be a motivation to just win, 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 and try to find your way into that playoffs. Uh, the Brewers have looked a lot better um, in the last few weeks. Um, I, after that Mets game, they rattle off, you know, what, five straight wins, four straight wins before losing last night. I think the frustrating thing about yesterday was the fact that Nick Lodolo has dominated the Brewers this year. Uh, Nick Lodolo, big prospect, like he's definitely a guy that could be an ace for the Reds. But the fact that the Brewers haven't figured him out all year is just infuriating, right? Like this is a guy that you've seen multiple times now and how have you not made any adjustments? And the Brewers didn't. And they weren't able to get on him. And 
to me, that's been part of the problem with the Brewers this year is like they seemingly can't figure out certain guys, certain pitchers, and it's it's been a problem. You know, they, they can't necessarily continue to push that momentum forward. And so losing to yesterday was a bummer because you win, to, you win yesterday and you're only a half game back of the Phillies. You are right on the doorstep. Phillies had a brutal loss against the, the Mets. They were leading, or uh, sorry, against the Braves. They were leading most of that game and the Braves come all the way back. They win in extras. There was a big rain delay um, and the Braves win that game. And now the Phillies go to Chicago. You know, the Cubs have really nothing to play for, um, but still it's, you know, Wrigley, Wrigley can get weird. Um, so we, we have to hope that our neighbors to the South can help us out this week uh, against the Phillies. And yeah, maybe the Brewers find their way in. Um, it's it's going to be, it's not easy, right? Everybody's off today. Nothing matters, but the Brewers just need to keep winning baseball games and getting some of those pitch, pitchers back is nice, but it's not, it's not fully flushed out yet. Freddie Peralta only pitched two innings. Aaron Ashby came in after him. He struggled um, in his, you know, tied up the game. He hit a pit, hit a guy. It wasn't, wasn't that great of an outing for Aaron Ashby. Um, it's clear that maybe we should not structure it this way, but I think that's how council has to roll with it going forward. And Adrian Hauser then, you know, goes, goes on Tuesday against the Cardinals. And that, it's a little bit of a worry, right? The Cardinals still have to clinch the division. Um, they're very close to it. I'm sure they would love to clinch in Milwaukee if possible. Um, and they had a decent weekend against the Dodgers. And, you know, Pujols sits the 700. So Pujols will not do that at Miller Park, which is at least nice. At least we have that going for us. And Nicholas has not been that good on the road uh, who the Brewers face on Tuesday, but then you face old friend Jose Quintana, who they've had more success against this year than years past, but everybody knows that Jose is a complete brewer killer. So hopefully they are able to rid themselves of the Quintana issues that they've had in the past. We'll see. It's it's just, you you can't, you can be, I, I was happy with what happened Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, they pull away Friday, they get down early, Lauer struggled early, but after that he settled in and looked all right, and the Brewers win that game. Thursday, you know, it was all about Colton Wong and Brandon Woodruff and all that stuff that came with that, and then, you know, Saturday they just blew out the Reds, which was great with Corbin Burns, you know, Corbin Burns getting run support that he hasn't really got all season, so... I, I really encouraged by those three days, but then to not finish it off, to not just one more, one more kick, one more push. And they had opportunities too. Like they had base runners all day and they just couldn't, couldn't get the big hit. And that has been a problem for the Brewers all season where they've had moments like that where the pitching has done enough and all the Brewers need is one or two big singles to, to win that game and they can't get it. So is what it is, man. It's frustrating, um, but it's been the season. I think at this point, I think everybody's accepted the Brewers might not be a playoff team, and it's okay. I'm not like counseling like they're half game, one and a half games back. But all I'm saying is like it's it's one of those things where we we know that there's work still need to be done, and if they get in, great. You know, hopefully you can end like the idea of ending the Cardinals. The Cardinals year, right? And and you know, basically saying, all right, Yadier Molina, Pujols, all those guys, the Brewers have ended that. I think that's a huge like thing that the fans can have. And it would be amazing. And but you know, we're just we're not at the level of the Dodgers and Mets, and I think we all know that, right? And the Braves also I'd lump in that. And you have to figure out how do you how are you a small market, which we'll I'm sure we'll discuss in the offseason, but it's like how can you figure out how to be at that level 
while being a small market team. I don't know. It's, uh, it's something the Rays have done really well. But I, I think what we've seen is that everybody, everybody's not the Rays. Uh, it's talking to a guy who does baseball stuff for a living. And we had a really good conversation about all of that. And I think it's just one of those things where everyone wants to be the Rays, but the Rays are kind of one of one. And the Brewers may, just need to be the Brewers, I think. So we'll see what happens. All right, that's all for today's show. Like I said, we'll probably talk about the Bucks, and you know they're getting ready. The training camp has begun. Media day was yesterday. They did sign Jordan Nora, um, so we'll talk a little bit about that um, this week, whether it's with Mitch or somewhere else. Actually, so Mitch and I have done podcasts on Wednesday the last couple of weeks. We've been trying to do Wednesday pod, Wednesday night pods, and then Thursday for you guys during the football season. But it's probably going to get pushed back a day. Um, I got some moving stuff to take care of, um, last kind of touches, and then I think we'll go back to Wednesday. So might have a Thursday pod this week. Um, I'll check in with Mitch if that works. Um, my podcast with Shannon, I know you guys are like, where has that been? Um, it, it was one of those things where we did a test show. I think it went well, and then I just didn't. I've, I've been real bad about following up with that. So we'll hopefully next month launch that and get that in full. And that's kind of a weekly show for us as well. And then it's less of me and it's more of guests and more fun. So we'll look forward to that. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. Back tomorrow. See you. Bye.